All right, welcome back, ARC Party listeners. This is going to be another one of my Lit Reactor Archive episodes. Uh, recently posted an uh, interview with Alma Katsu uh, featuring Rob Hart as a co-host. And uh, this episode, I'm bringing you S.A. Cosby with, again, Rob Hart joining the conversation. In this episode, Sean joined us to talk about Razorblade Tears, which was his most recent book. Um, because Rob was on the podcast, we also talked a bunch about paradox hotel as well and since those two uh have known each other for a long time dug in a little bit to their history what it was like coming up in the crime writing world and all that kind of stuff so it's a great conversation it's very friendly it's very um kind of internal feeling and i really enjoyed being a part of it though you won't hear my voice very much because uh they did all the heavy lifting for me so i hope you enjoy this lit reactor archive episode with Sean Cosby and Rob Hart, where we talk about Razorblade Tears and Paradox Hotel. All right. Thanks, everybody, for checking out the latest episode of Unprintable, the Lit Reactor podcast. I'm your host, Rob Olson. This episode, I'm joined by Rob Hart, who has been on several previous episodes of this podcast. He uh, does the He's the head of the class for Lit Reactor, you might say, uh, as well as author... S.A. Cosby, uh, who is best known for his recent books, Blacktop Wasteland and Razorblade Tears. Uh, Join us for a pretty laid back conversation where Sean talks about his recent book, Razorblade Tears and Blacktop Wasteland. And Rob uh, talks about his upcoming release, which is Paradox Hotel, uh, which is available February 22nd of 2022. Depending on when you're listening to this, hopefully that's before it releases. If you tuned in hoping to just get a bunch of my beautiful, deep, sultry voice, uh, you're going to be disappointed for a while because once the conversation starts, I don't actually get a word in until about almost a half an hour into the discussion. So um, that's just how great of a conversation it is. Rob and Sean go back a ways and they're, they're good friends and they just dove right into a great discussion about both of their books, but also their friendship and their history together. It's a wonderful conversation. Uh, I didn't really need to add much or steer the conversation. It just happened so naturally and so beautifully that um, I let it happen. I enjoyed it a lot. I know you're going to as well. So please join me in enjoying the conversation with Rob Hart and S.A. Cosby. Yeah, man. I remember this, I mean, years ago, like I'm sitting at Shade. I'm there with you, Sean. And, you know, we're, we're, we're having Todd get us drunk. And I think at that point, like Warehouse and Blacktop had both come out or maybe Blacktop was just about to come out, but we were both like doing okay. We were feeling good. And, but, but we were both in that space of like, how do we follow this up? And like, I remember like you talking about Paradox, I mean, me talking about Paradox Hotel and you talking about Razorblade Tears and like those projects were very much in their infancy at that point. But like, it was just nice to kind of have that moment of like, okay, like, you know, yeah, we, we, we kind of feel each other on this because like I got really excited about Razorblade when you were telling me about the premise. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I, I felt the same way about Paradox when you were talking about it because if anybody knows me and, and they know our friendship, it goes back to, you know, the old Ash McKenna days. And I, uh, I definitely saw Paradox as a way for you to incorporate um, that, that sort of detective mystery fiction mindset but really really expanded exponentially into a a, a sci-fi very interesting 
uh, technologically advanced narrative, which was, you know, as for me as a writer, I always like listening and talking to other writers who are doing stuff that I don't think I can do because I don't think I, I, <laughs> I, I, I don't have the, I don't have the temperament nor the discipline to write a book like Paradox Hotel. I just don't. I, I just got a whiteboard for this project I'm working on now, if that tells you anything. <laughs> nice. So, and so when you were talking about it and we were sitting there and, you know, the, the rye whiskey was flowing and, and, uh, and everything, I was sitting there and I was like, I wasn't jealous, but I was like, this MFR, God damn. It's like, <laughs> like <laughs> this is such a good idea. I, I would like to do something like this, but I can't. So, yeah, and, the, and when those stories are like that are in their infancy, it's sort of, it's the evergreen moment, right? It's that moment where it's just before, it's the anticipation, you know? It's like, wow, this is something new that I'm doing, you know? Like, with Razorblade, you know, I had gotten some, um, I don't want to say pushback, but I had gotten some inferences from folks in the publishing uh, uh, house that, well, we, let's do Blacktop Wasteland 2, let's do Blacktop Wasteland 3, let's you know, let's do something safe because this looked like it's going to do well. And my editor was the one who was like, no, you do what you feel you want to do. You feel like do what you feel is necessary. And so, you know, that's where Razorblade came from. And so, um, but that feeling, like I said, sitting in shade that night, uh, not just the feeling of the alcohol, but that feeling of we're on the cusp of doing something, (laughs) (laughs) doing something interesting, really interesting work. That's, That's the the high that I'm always chasing. Oh yeah, yeah, and like I gotta tell you, man, like when you when you started explaining Razorblade to me, I mean, I I definitely got a little jealous. I was like, this is a great <laughs> idea, and you know, I I I definitely wasn't the person to write that book. Obviously, like that that was so in your wheelhouse and so perfect for you. And uh, but yeah, I just I just remember thinking like this this has like I, and and look, I I read Blacktop Wasteland, and that book knocked me on my ass. Like I just absolutely loved it and um and 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 the thing that that you did that i really loved is that like you know there are a lot of guys out there who are writing like tough guy crime fiction narratives and like this was the first one that i'd read in a long time that felt like oh this is a tough guy tough guy like this is this is someone who's seen some shit like this is so much more convincing than i'm used to uh in these kinds of narratives And, (laughs) and i loved that that sort of level of, of reality. And so when you started talking about Razorblade, I'm like, oh my God, he is going to knock this out of the park. <laughs> and, um, yeah. And, and it was just, and, and it was, and yeah, you know, I mean, it was funny too, because I think we were both in a place where like, you know, we were, you know, I wasn't really getting pushback on Paradox, but we were both delving into like, you know, writing about, you know, LGBT characters um, and sort of some of the things that, that come around that because like the lead of Paradox is queer and she's in love with a trans woman. And like, you know, obviously in Razorblade, you've got like these two sort of homophobic mm-hmm. ex-cons like trying to uh, avenge their their dead gay sons who are in a relationship. So like... Mm-hmm. You know, we were both going into territory that, like, you know, you got to go in with a big open heart and a lot of care because if you mm-hmm. don't, like, you're gonna you're gonna fall on your face like real damn hard. Yeah, I, I want to ask you. That's interesting because, and that was something. You know, that was two plots that grew up independent of each other. You know, the first time we talked about it was in Shade that night. But it's interesting that I think both of our minds went to a more inclusive space, maybe. I don't want to speak for you, but I mean, just 
I thought it was interesting that, you know, two straight guys are looking and trying to write a story that is more inclusive, that's more universal, that it brings more people to the table. For me, that's always the best writing, whether it's crime fiction, literary fiction, sci-fi, whatever, um, that when you bring more people to the table, you bring more stories to the table and you can have more interesting interactions with people, you know? And so like when you were telling me about paradox and, and, and again, I felt like, man, it's, you know, you, you, you've got to have a certain level of empathy to write uh, characters outside of your own perspective, outside of your own point of view. Uh, but you also have to have some guts. And I really admired your guts for taking that on. For me, writing Razorblade, like I, I just talked to somebody the other day about this. I don't want anybody to ever put me on a savior pedestal for writing Razorblade. That's not what that was about. Yeah. Um, you know, um, and so I'm writing about two ex-cons, one black, one white, you know, homophobic dads who didn't accept their sons. And so it's like I'm not delving as far into that identity as you did and did it in such a really excellent way and so i think it is just like i said an interesting dynamic or interesting turn that uh more writers are trying to be more inclusive and not as a parlor trick not as a marketing ploy but as a natural outgrowth of where the story needs to go and i thought that was kind of yeah yeah yeah, exactly you know i i kind of you know, on one hand, you know, I want to write about the world I live in and I was born and raised in New York City. So I was obviously like I was I was raised in a, in a you know, diverse environment, which is good. And there's a part of me that like as a writer, like I'm both tired of like reading and writing white guy narratives because like mm-hmm. I've seen a lot of them and, mm-hmm. you know, and there's nothing wrong with them. I'm not, I'm not mm-hmm. like saying there's anything wrong with that, but. I, I just, I, I kind of feel, felt like I got to a place in my life where I just kind of wanted to like challenge myself a little bit and start mm-hmm. looking for that like universal um, within like those unique experiences. And, um, you know, and, and I went into it very carefully. Like I have a, because I was writing a trans character whose transness like actually plays into the end game of the book. Like I went to mm-hmm. two writers who are both friends who are both trans and was like, hey, like, you know, this is what I'm thinking of. Like, you know, and I wasn't really looking for a pat on the head, but I just mm-hmm. like kind of wanted to like, you know, kind of get their take. And they both were like, okay, like, yeah, there's a real opportunity for you to fuck this up, but you know, <laughs> it sounds interesting. So you're taking it a shot. And I was like, okay, cool. Um, so, you know, it, it was, it was a really rewarding experience in the end, because I remember as I was writing it, I'm like, I'm still like, I mean, I, I feel very passionately about this story and I'm, I feel like I'm coming from the right place, but you know, it doesn't matter until it's actually done and then you read it and then you say like, okay, I think I pulled this off. Um, I mean, d- did you have those kind, those same kinds of fears as you were writing the book? Oh God. Yeah. Oh yeah. It was like writing that book was probably the most afraid I've ever been. Like with blacktop, I was afraid of, you know, um, <laughs> I was afraid of my family's reaction because it very much is a really about my dad and my mom. And at the time, both of them were still alive. And so um, it, it's, it was a very much... Blacktop was a catharsis for me. You know, a, a lot of stuff in Blacktop um, are events in my life that happened, just turned up to 11 or 12, you know? Um, so it was very personal. But with Razorblade, I really was tackling an issue that bugged me. I, I don't know how else to say it. It bugged me. I don't 
like homophobia. I don't like the prevalence of homophobia in rural America. I don't like the prevalence of homophobia in black rural America. I got a cousin who's gay who came out at 41 and, you know, caught a lot of flack for it. And so those, I was writing that story from a position of, I don't say anger, but irritation. I was just, I'm sick of this, you know, and I want to talk about it. But at the same time, I'm a straight guy who is not a member of the LGBTQ plus community. And so I had some friends of mine, like you, as you did, uh, a couple of writers who are, are, are queer that I went to and I was like, hey, read this for me. Um, let me know what you think. Am I in the right ballpark? Am I, am I making sure these are characters and not caricatures? You know, because that's all I always want when yeah. somebody writes a, a marginalized character, a, color, a character of color. I want to make sure that the characters are real living people. And I'll tell y'all something funny about that. So uh, there's a writer named P.J. Vernon, who's a good friend of mine, he's a good buddy of mine, and he's a fantastic writer in his own right, wrote a fantastic book last year called Bathhouse. Pick it up if you can. And um, That was really good. Yeah. And there's a scene in Razorblade where the two fathers in their quest for vengeance go to a gay bar, and a fight breaks out. And the fight breaks out because one of the fathers is homophobic, and he gets upset that somebody hits on him. And like, you know, you're in a gay bar and they don't know you're not gay. And so uh, in that scene, right. originally, I had all the people, the patrons of the bar kind of stand back quietly and, and look at him reproachfully and stuff like that. And PJ, who's a great writer in his own right, he said, hey, man, look, that's a good scene. But a fight in a gay bar is just like a fight in every other bar. You know, you don't have yeah. to put these people on a pedestal. You don't have to have play virtue, you know. Uh, uh, you don't have to play like you know respectability politics. There's gonna be people getting in the way. There's gonna be people joining the fight. There's gonna be people getting the fuck out of the way so they can you know save their drinks. And I thought that was a really interesting eye opener for me because sometimes in an effort to be as respectful as possible, you don't make the characters real people, make them saints, and nobody wants to yeah. read about saints, right? Yeah, no, I had the same experience on Paradox where like, you know, uh, there there there's a scene like later in the book where like, you know, the main character January is about to like step on a caterpillar and Mina, her her girlfriend, the trans character, stops her and is like, you know, don't do that. And there was like this kind of like butterfly chrysalis metaphor. Um and my friend Alina Boyden, who who is a fantastic author, um, she writes great fantasy novels. She read that and she was like I she's like this is unrealistic because if someone used a better butterfly metaphor for me I would roll my fucking eyes. <laughs> she's like I've had enough of the butterfly metaphors and I was like see okay there we go and and yeah. that's the kind of insight that like you know no matter how much empathy I go into this with I'm just not going to have because I haven't mm -hmm. lived that. And mm -hmm. so you know I, and that's part of the reason that it's so great that we have such a a big diverse inclusive fiction community because mm -hmm. then like we can go out to people and say, Hey, you know, can you just kind of check me a little bit on this? Mm -hmm, and, um, mm -hmm. you know, yeah, I, like P PJ's book bathhouse was so good. Oh, so good. Excellent. And, um, excellent. yeah. And like, you know, and, and it's always like kind of a, kind of an awkward question because like, again, like you're not going for a pat on the head, you're not going for permission. You just mm -hmm. want to sort of, but, but, but I think everyone kind of gets it. Like everyone understands, like we've got each other's backs and, um, mm -hmm. and this goes further into why it's important to make, the fiction community more diverse and welcome in more voices and mm -hmm. you know uh, and we're seeing some a little bit of nice ground 
gained on that in the last couple of years. You know, obviously there's a lot of, <laughs> the, the, there's a lot that needs to be made up for there, but, um, but we're getting a little bit closer. Oh yeah. I think it's, it's interesting that, you know, I had a, uh, a argument, well, it's an argument, a disagreement with a, a writer that will remain nameless about authenticity or sensitivity, read whatever you want to call it. And it was, it was actually me, this writer and another writer named Ed AMR. And Ed had this really good point because this person was saying, I don't want somebody policing what I can write. I don't want anybody telling me what I can write. And Ed said, well, look, if you were writing a story about the FBI and you had access to an FBI agent or a former FBI agent, wouldn't you take that opportunity to speak with them? Wouldn't you get that research from them? And he said, this is the same thing. It's the same thing. He said, don't call it an authenticity reader. Then. Don't call it a sensitivity reader. Call it, you know, freaking research. And I think that's the mindset that allows us to maybe write really good stuff. Don't look at it as somebody policing what you're saying. Because you're still free to write whatever the F you want to write. It's, right. are you going to do the work? Are you going to talk to people? Are you going to do the research? That's the thing. You wouldn't write a story about, you know, fast cars without doing the research on engines, knowing the difference between like, you know, a, a 5.0 liter, 5 liter Hellcat versus a 2.5 liter, you know, uh, uh, engine in a Mazda. So same thing. I'm not trying to equate marginalized people or LGBT people to cars and vehicles, but I'm saying if you don't understand a subject, if you're not a part of a community, then it's your job as a professional writer to research those issues. And if you don't, then you're not a professional. That's just way out. Yeah. Yeah. No, you're exactly right. I mean, research is research and it's Mm -hmm. like, you know, and it's the thing that like writers brag about the most. It's like, Oh, like I, I embedded myself with like, you know, I I did ride along with a cop. I did this, I did that. And it's like, okay, but you couldn't like, you know, ask your queer friends if like your Mm -hmm. queer character was like, you know, on the up and up, like you, you, you knew, you knew about as much as queer characters as you knew about ride alongs with cops. Like what's the (laughs) difference here? And, um, but it's sort of, I don't know. There's this weird attitude that we're getting. Um, you know, I, I, I was, I was talking to, uh, to Rob before, before you got on about this, Mm -hmm. about how, like, I got a, I got a one-star review for Paradox on Goodreads from an advanced reader because the book was too political because it had queer characters and therefore I was promoting a political agenda, um, which is really, really funny to me. (laughs) And, you know, but, but, but I guess that's the problem is like some people look at it as like, you know, instead of like a, an opportunity for growth and like to really sort of like feel something, you know, they look at it as like, they're being told they have to believe something. And, and, and that, that says a little bit more about the, the reader than it does about the writer. I've gotten a bunch sure. of, I've gotten a bunch of one star reviews for razor blade for that exact reason. But the one that made me laugh the most was I got a one star review for razor blade because the guy said, I don't want to read about all this gay stuff and all this gay sex. He's pushing gay sex in an agenda. I don't know how many people have read razor blade. There's no sex. In the book. <laughs> There's no gay sex. Right. There's no straight sex. <laughs> Nobody gets laid in that book at all. So that person, <laughs> I think you're telling more about yourself than maybe you're aware of. And maybe you need to talk to somebody <laughs> and let, let some feelings out. You know, maybe you, maybe some things that you're holding in. But, um, <laughs> you know, um, but yeah, I get that pushback too. I've gotten nasty emails about that, you know, and all that kind of stuff. And my thing is like, A, you've already bought the book, so I got you $26. But B, you know, it's like, you know, if that's the way you feel, that's the way you feel. I, I, I can't, I like to change hearts and minds. You know, that's the, that's the high bar that I think any writer is reaching for. 
But, you know, hey, man, if you want to maintain that prejudice, that foolish outlook, that's fine. You know, I can't yeah. I can't do nothing about that. I wanted to ask you a question. I've been I've been dying to ask you this since Paradox, since I read it. Um, and I know you hate this because I hate the same. I get the same question. But where did the, <laughs> where did the idea come from or the the plot? Because, you know, there's a lot of time travel books out there. There's a lot of uh, sci fi books out there. But this feels like to me anyway. It felt like the best amalgamation of a time travel sci-fi plot with a classic PI, almost continental op sort of feel. And I just, I was wondering, like, what were your inspirations? I guess this is a better question. Well, so there's this uh, interactive theater experience in New York called Sleep No More. Um, that's like, it's in this big warehouse and it starts as a hotel and then it turns into all these different kind of settings and and it's real creepy and weird. Like you're 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 free roaming. You you wear a mask. You can follow all the actors, but you could also like split off and like search through stuff and look for secret rooms. It's it's real real interesting and fun. And as I was doing it this one time, I just got this idea in my head. I'm like, you know, what if there was a hotel where you can like go into a room and it's like five minutes later or like ten minutes ago? Like that would be cool. And so I just got home and like wrote down like time travel hotel, and that and that was it. And um. And I, and I always wanted to do a time travel story and I just kind of like, I was marinating on it and thinking on it and then kind of was like, okay. So I asked myself like, okay, like if we invented time travel, like how would this look from a regulatory perspective? Um, because, because I'm a gigantic nerd like that. And I was like, well, you know, it would probably be created by the government uh, or regulated by the government and controlled by the government. Cause this is something that's going to take a massive amount of energy and therefore it's going to be massively expensive. But then I was like, you know, but if it's really expensive, maybe sooner or later private industry tries to get in there and they try to sort of like buy it up or try to, you know, exploit it. And I was like, well, actually, that's exactly what's happening with uh, the space industry right now, where, you know, mm -hmm. it was mm -hmm. for a long time, it was NASA and that's it. And now it's like Bezos and Musk and Branson are all trying to get in on like these ventures into like getting us into space. And it's sort of like, okay, okay, I'm starting to see this. It's starting to come together. And, um, and then like, and then we get into the weird, like divine aspect of it. Cause like, I knew that like, I wanted to play with these, I, these time travel ideas. I thought it would be cool to set it in a hotel. And then I just kind of got this image of like this woman stepping off an elevator, like wearing a big boho hat and like, you know, and I was like, oh, oh yeah, yeah, no, that's, that's January. She, she's, she's going to be the main character. And, um, and then it was appealing to me to sort of like, cause I wrote five books with like a, a tough talking, like young amateur private investigator. And I was like, you know might be kind of fun to like write a, a woman in that role, you mm -hmm. know? Um, and yeah, it's just like, once I kind of, once I kind of had that, that nugget of an idea and that character, it just like, it was weird how quickly it came together. Um, Cause I was, you know, I was trying to follow up the warehouse with a completely different book that was just not coming together. Like me and, mm -hmm. and our agent, Josh and, and my editor, Julian, like we were, we had so many conversations trying to make this thing works and it was just not happening. And finally one day I just, I said to Julian, I'm like, so I've got this time travel hotel theory. He's like, Ooh, cool. <laughs> and, um, and Josh was like, please don't write that. Um, <laughs> but in fairness, when I first pitched it to him, I was at his office. Like we, we were just like, I, I had stopped by, we got lunch, we were bullshitting, we were going over some stuff and I, and I kind of pitched it to him, but the pitch was so bad. It was terrible. It was like, <laughs> I hadn't really like formulated it right in my head. So when he told me not to do it, he, he was correct to say so. <laughs> um, 
and I just remember like, so I wrote the book and I sent it and I, I mean, we sold it on spec uh, and he was still, he's like, okay, okay. I kind of, I kind of see where we're going. And after I finished the book, um, I was at a playground with my daughter. It was like, it was warm out. She was running around. She was like chasing all these other kids and, um, and Josh calls to check in. He's like, holy shit, you did it. <laughs> and, and so it was just like this kind of, it, it, it was really, it, it felt good. Um, suffice to say. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's interesting. I, I I thought it was so well done. I got to see an early version of it. And the thing that I love, cause I'm, I, you know, I write crime fiction, but I love all kinds of fiction. The thing I love was just the seamless way that you marry the detective story to the sci-fi story. Neither one seems contrived or treacly or melodramatic. Right. It's just, it, it all fits together like yeah, January is a detective. It you know, she's a the you know one of the most classic detectives. The hotel investigator, the you know the the hotel dick as he used to call it, <laughs> and so which is ironic. But um, how they work those things together, and then all the sci-fi element of it, and the thing that I love, which drives me crazy when I read sci-fi sometimes, is you have a you did a really good job of keeping the rules consistent, how the time travel works, and then finding ways to get around your own rules there are writers that can do that and then there are writers that just do you know uh, uh ex machina and just like oh it's magic right. and so i thought that was just really impressive I, like again it's something i don't know if i would tackle but i was really really uh it was really fun to read so <laughs> I mean, I would love to see it tackle it, but um, I mean, I mean that, that, that's half, that's half the fun sometimes, though. Is like, I, I, I like, there's so much because that that's the thing. It's like when you create a set of rules, you know, uh, the best part about creating a set of rules is then breaking them, and then mm -hmm. like, what kind of you know fucking lunacy that can cause, mm -hmm. and you know, and, and so yeah, I mean, it wasn't an easy book to write because once you start getting into time travel mechanics, like I was halfway through that book and I'm like, oh what have i done and and i thought i really nailed it and then i gave it to my editor and he's like okay we got some stuff to go over um but yeah it was like i i also like as i was writing it though i stripped out i tried to like simplify it as much as possible because i was like mm -hmm. you know what we can't travel to the future in this reality because that just adds a layer of complication that mm -hmm. i don't want to deal with mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. like like so so I, I find almost sometimes that the more I limit myself, you know, the easier it is to actually do this. No, that's interesting. Cause like I, I'm a I'm a science nerd to a certain extent. And I thought you did a really good job of using like the more realistic, plausible ideas about time travel, like from Hawking and uh some other scientists who have really kind of looked at like, okay, if we were gonna do this, how are we gonna do it? And I thought that was interesting. But never it never uh, uh, was at the cost of the story or the cost of the narrative. And I think people get to, I, I worked on a project last year and I, I can't say what it is yet, but it, it has some sci-fi elements. And I, at, at a certain point, yeah, you have to explain and create rules. But at another point, you have to be like, look, it's a laser sword. We're not going to get into the physics <laughs> of how it works. It's just a cool-ass laser sword. Go with it. And so I thought you did a really good job of finding that balance, you know? Uh, speaking of, uh, of, of, of the warehouse, I thought, God, man, that book was so prophetic in a scary way. It's like, <laughs> <laughs> that book really, the, some of the stuff in that book that I, when I read it, I'm like, oh, man, this is crazy. I was like, this will never happen. Oh, I hope it never happens. It's like, 
you turn on the news like, oh, a certain you know retailer or certain a conglomerate is building uh, company homes. So you have no yeah, excuse man. not to go to work. And I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> Rob's a witch, everybody. He's a witch. Burn him. He's a witch. <laughs> yeah, n- none of that feels good in any way whatsoever. And and the, the thing that really drives me nuts is there's stuff that I made up for the book that I took out because I thought it was too implausible. Um mm-hmm. Like there was this, there was going to be this thing um, where all the, like the people who work in the warehouse, like they have their, their tracking watches, which tell them like where to go find items to like, you know, deliver, to, to pick them up and send them out for delivery. And I was going to work in like a game where like there was a game on the watch, like by the better you worked at your job, the more you progressed in the game. Um, mm-hmm. And I was like, you know what? This is too ridiculous. This is too nuts. And it was like another added element. And, and I'm always trying, like, I don't like overcomplicating things. So I was like, let me, let, let me take this out, you know. And then like six months after the book came out, I read that Amazon was doing that. They were like giving their, their like they were turning their trackers into like a game thing for their employees. to. And I'm just like, God damn it. Like <laughs> if I put that in, I would have looked real fucking smart. <laughs> it would have been real spooky. It would have been real fucking spooky. That would be That'd be great if like your 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 book um uh ends up being so like accurate that like you start getting sued and stuff by the companies or like <laughs> oh that's <laughs> you stole our idea you you must you must have you must have had someone tell you about this because there's no way otherwise <laughs> well no I'll, I'll tell you this the one of the best compliments I got on that book is that uh, I have a friend uh, who works in Amazon I won't say like but but like enough to know like the corporate culture and she read the book and her reaction was who did you talk to? <laughs> and I'm like, I, I was like, I just read the news. I made all this shit up. So, but, but that like, af- after she said that, I was like, okay, I, I, th- I think I did. All right. <laughs> That's wild. I, I know you had brought up, you mentioned earlier about the, the, uh, uh, one of the, your properties is being adapted for a TV show. And, uh, I was wondering how did, how did, how did that process go? Cause I'm in the midst of like, the, the um my books being adapted for movies and it, it's to me it always feels like it's a very strange sensation it's almost like watching someone take some vegetables that you grew and them cooking with it you know you're kind of hovering <laughs> around you know the area and like oh wow i don't know if i would have done that but that's pretty cool or that oh what do you do what, what is that why are you adding shallots? But uh, it's like, <laughs> I didn't know how that experience, I was wondering how that experience was for you. I was just curious. It's 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 been good so far, you know, like uh, I've got the, the warehouse went out to Ron Howard and I'm just kind of like waiting on that. And I didn't really have a role in that. Like I got to meet the screenwriter. He had some good ideas. Like they update me every now and again, but you know, it's a slow process. Um, mm-hmm. The Ash McKenna books just got optioned. Um, so I met the guys who were putting that together and they were really cool and they had some good ideas. Um, and then, yeah, Paradox got optioned for TV by Working Title and I just got the pilot script and it was just so bizarre reading it because it was like, they were like, hey, do you have any notes on this? And I'm like, nope. Like, it was just <laughs> so good. And like, they really, the, the guy, Jacob Chase, who wrote it, like, he did this great movie, this horror movie that came out a couple of years ago called Come Play. And, um, mm-hmm. I actually like when when they signed him, it was like right before the movie came out and I didn't want to go to a theater because of COVID um, mm. and their theaters in New York weren't even open. I ended up driving up to like a, a drive in theater 
in like the middle of nowhere in upstate New York, like two and a half hours away to go watch this movie, like alone in a parking lot, which is this oh, wow. creepy ass movie. And, um, <laughs> and, and, and after I finished the movie, I was like, yeah, yeah, this guy's going to do just fine. Um, cause it was, it was a cool high concept, but it had a lot of heart to it. And, um, and yeah, like the pilot is so brilliant. Like there, there were ideas in there that I was legit jealous of. And, um, you know, it's, it's real fun to see how the process goes. Like, yeah. you know, and, and I get, I get what you're saying about like, there's that part of you that's like kind of precious and is like, you know, don't, don't, don't fuck up my baby. Um, <laughs> but also just like being in that arena. Cause I mean, who, 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 it, it was Bruckheimer took razor blade, right? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that was a crazy. I, that, that's oh, wild. And you know, it's funny. <laughs> I, I'll tell you a funny story about that meeting. So uh, it was, you know, the zoom meeting and uh, uh, on the zoom call, are two production executives from Paramount and from his production company. And it's me. And then Josh is on the, texting me on the, my agent is texting me on the phone. And so, uh, was <laughs> on there and he's just this, this vision of, you know, California excellence. He's tanned, it's windswept <laughs> hair. The back, like, you know, my background is my Star Wars collection. His background is a reverse concave window of Malibu. And, um, you know, he, and so these two production <laughs> folks are talking and they're talking the book up and, you know, it's very flattering and everything. And he, he had just spoke. He spoke at the beginning of the call. Like, I'm Jerry. I'm like, I, I know who you are. Jesus Christ. Um, <laughs> and um, he didn't say anything for the longest time. And we were just kind of going back and forth. And they were talking about the book and talking about the book. And he pulled such a power move because like halfway through the conversation, he finally he looks up and he says, how much money is it going to take for us to be in business together? And I was like, <laughs> I, 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 I said, hold on. So I was like, I text Josh. I'm like, what should, what, what, what should we say? He's like, don't commit to anything. Just say you have, you have a number. I'm like, okay. So I said, I have a number. And he said a number. He said, well, how about this number? And it was way more than I thought they were interested in giving <laughs> us. Like way more. <laughs> and I have no poker face. So as soon as he said it, I'm like, yeah. I mean, I mean, uh, we'll we'll think about it. We'll 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 think. I'm the worst negotiator on <laughs> earth. Oh my god! And, but it was just such an extreme difference from you know the world of writing, where everything is very sedate. I think in certain in certain aspects of it, uh, it was just like he was like, no, let's go. I want to make you know. And then he starts giving this spiel like, hey, you know, the one thing about my movies, they make money. We're gonna make money. I'm like, oh, all right, that's cool, man. That's he's cool. not wrong. Yeah, he's not wrong. And so they've done a really good job <laughs> with it. And when I said that, I gave that kind of vegetable analogy. It, it is a thing where you kind of feel precious, but at the same time, I have taken the advice. Lee Child has this great quote where you know the movie's the movie, the book's the book, and you don't you know that they're yeah. separate entities. And so you gotta kind of look at it like that. And I look at it like that. It's like the stuff that they're doing with it sounds really cool. The folks that they're going after for the lead characters is very cool. I can't wait to talk about it. But um, and so it's just for me as as a writer, it's cool. But as a fan of movies, it would be awesome to see it. And I don't mean that from an egotistical point of view. I'm just a fan of movies. I, I would just love to see it and see what they do with it. So oh, it's, yeah, it's, it's a pretty cool experience. So, so I feel like we've now gotten into a half a half hour into this conversation without letting Rob get a word in. <laughs> Dude. All right. So, a peek behind my curtain. 
I've always had the policy that the the less I speak, the better things are going. So like, <laughs> I'm watching the time tick by, and I'm like, this is fucking great. If I can have an audio file that's just blank for me, uh, <laughs> really happy with that. But like, uh, I could talk. I could talk. I have a couple of if I, I if I could throw down a couple of quick um, notes about Paradox Hotel and and Razorblade Tears. Um, I read both Blacktop Wasteland and Razorblade Tears pretty recently. Apologies, I'm, I'm late to the fandom, but um, <laughs> doing a book review podcast, it's like the books stack up so fast. It's it's hard to like sometimes prioritize, you know, the mm-hmm. ones that aren't slotted in. So um, I am I'm a newer fan, but oh my god! So um, my first my first thought, really quick, about um, when you guys were talking about the the subject, some of the subject matter of the two books was that um, reading the synopsis or the, the the description of what Razorblade Tears was, um, I was like, who the fuck could write that well? And thinking of having just read Blacktop Wasteland, I was like, well, this guy, that's the only guy that could probably do it because it sounds like such a, how do you, how do you land this story in a way that feels good? It doesn't feel like chintzy or weird or like, like you know, fake uh, or something like that. And, um, so yeah, reading that book, I, I would say that the, the, one of the, the standout things for me about Razorblade Tears and I have, I have a highlight and I don't know if I'm going to go and read the whole thing, but, uh, all right, I'm going to read the thing. So I get to edit this because I'm not. there was a moment in the story that, um, I thought to myself, I wish everybody would read this book to get this part of it. I think it's kind of later in the book. Uh, and the two, the two fathers, um, Ike and Buddy Lee are talking and I don't know if I'm going to get through the whole quote cause it's kind of big. Uh, I think maybe the first time in your life you're seeing what the world looks like for people that don't look like you. It's like that part of it where they're mm-hmm. having a conversation. Right. Um, you're sick. You're still ignorant as hell, but you're learning. But then so am I, we're both learning. Um, we done and said shit that we wish we could take back. Uh, I think if you figure out at one point in your life, you were a terrible person, you start getting better, start treating people better. So there's this sentiment and it's toward the end of the book and I'm reading through the story and I really enjoyed it. It was really immersive and I was in the story and I was like, I'm loving these guys regardless of the fact that they have flaws and it's obvious that they've done things, you know, that now later in life they regret. And I read this paragraph and I'm like, God damn it. I wish, I, I wish that I could find a way for anybody I'm talking to that I need to get this point in their head to just like download this into their brain because it is such a good moment. So there's a line uh, at the end of that. Question there, but. Yeah. There's a line at the end of that exchange where buddy Lee says it's, it's pretty late in the day to be changing. And I said, day ain't over yet. And I think that's, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, what's funny. Uh, we haven't talked about it much, but Ty Robinson was part of the inspiration for raising blade to years. And because oh, yeah? we were, oh. Because we were joking around about I I went up to New York um, before COVID. Obviously, I went up to New York and I was just in town for a couple of days. And I'd shoot into 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 shade and uh, and uh, he's working and we're kind of talking and we're talking about black time, what the follow up is, and all this kind of stuff. And I was talking about his book. Todd wrote a book called Rough Trade, which was a similar tone about straight guys, tough guys trying to navigate a world where one of their friends comes out as gay. And I was telling him, I said, man, that's, you know, you kind of gave me the pathway for that. 
And Tyler's like, I ain't give you shit. I'm like, oh, I mean, stop being so, <laughs> so self-deprecating. But uh, later on, we were joking around online, and uh, he, there was a picture of Danny Trejo and uh, uh, Ron Perlman. And, and Todd had posted the picture, or we were talking about it in the conversation, and he said, I'd give anything to, see, to read a story about these two guys, two old guys who are, mm. you know, pulling their, you know, last job or pulling their stuff together, but realizing that they made a whole lot of fuck-ups. And that was sort of the inspiration. I was like, man, men of a certain age that are not, you know, in their 20s, men who are have maybe more yesterdays than tomorrows, and what does that look like? And what does it look like when you realize that you've lived a pretty horrible life? And is it is it too late to fix it? And so, of course, if you talk to him about it, he's like, I ain't do nothing. I ain't. He, he doesn't give himself enough credit. <laughs> you know, I, just a just a real quick moment about Ty Robson for anybody that's listening. Uh, he's uh, one of the great noir writers uh, in America. He also used to publish a magazine uh, called Thug Lit. And the learning tree of Thug Lit has a lot of your favorite crime and fiction writers on it. So I just want to say that. But uh, no, appreciate oh, yeah. it, man. Thank you man, so much you for go, saying that. You go back that. to Douglas and you see everyone who's like doing it now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, uh, it's one of those. But I got one for Rob, too. We're not going to mm-hmm. keep him. Uh, we're not going to make him feel like he's left out. So uh, in Paradox Hotel, which really, which uh, hopefully this episode will uh be available for people to listen to you before paradox hotel releases but it's coming out what the 22nd of february what a great release day by the way can we talk about that for a yeah. second mm. when, when they told me like the release date was going to be 2 <laughs> in, in my weird fucking time travel novel i was like did you guys plan that and they're like no nah, that was just the day we picked i'm like okay it's fantastic you can't you can't ask for just a better um coincidence than that um so i read i read an advanced copy of it and um mostly, you know, obviously to prepare for this conversation and, um, everything that Sean said, I agree with as far as like how good of a book it is and everything. There's this one moment where it's, uh, you know, from the perspective of, of January, the main character, um, thinking about, uh, her relationship and, um, because I think the general idea is that like, you know, sometimes we are, you know, damaged people who have like these bad things about ourselves. Um, wondering what, what it was Mina saw inside me that made someone so lovely and special spend her time trying to heal me. Those impact craters on my body that once I thought were expressions of love, she fit herself into those grooves. She did more than that. Did you know love could reach inside a person? I didn't, not until her. It probes your skin until it finds a crack. Then it pours into you liquid gold that hardens and makes you stronger. Um, so like that's the general I had this moment where I had to stop reading that and I, and I took a screenshot and I sent it to my girlfriend and she was just kind of like caught by how beautiful that moment was. And so I feel like with both of your books, even though start to finish, there were, you know, it was a great read all the way through. I had these moments that stopped me and I was like, this is something that I need to remember. And for Paradox Hotel, that was part of it. And I would say that um, in addition to everything Sean said about how great the story is, it's it's got such heart in it and i think that that's actually something that is represented in both of your books is that there's so much heart in these otherwise well-constructed stories well uh, yeah thank you for for saying that i mean you know it was definitely 
you know, this is definitely the most earnest book I've ever written, um, where I was really trying to kind of dig deeper into something. And so it was a little scary doing that because it's like, you know, you want to do it from a place of authenticity and you don't want it to be cheesy. You don't want it to be lame. You want it to be like really honest. And sometimes being honest is like the hardest thing you can do as a writer. Um, especially when like you're used to writing, like, you know, zany sci-fi or like tough guy crime narratives, but like those moments are so important. And, um, and and uh, like I kind of love the way those two things dovetail off each other, like the the, the this idea of just like you know uh, found family and community and like reaching out to other people and growing together, you know, because like that's the thing. It's like you know you, you sit by yourself all day and you kind of get stuck in these cycles of of you know depression and loathing, and that self loathing turns into an outer loathing, and it's just really, really not good. And and you find that like the more you send someone out into the world, and the more you have them connecting with other people, the more they can grow. And like that's one of the best parts about being a writer, and it's it's what's so fulfilling about like the whole goddamn b- process being so lonely. But then like getting out there with your friends and getting out there with your readers, and you know, I, I just. <clears throat> You know, it's it's so much fun to write about people who are just trying to be better, you know, who, mm-hmm. who have that moment of like self-recognition of like, okay, the day's not over yet. Yeah. I just, I wanted to say, and I, I didn't say it earlier, but I, I was talking about the plot and the, and the mechanics of it, but there is such beautiful prose in Paradox Hotels. It's such a, it's such a, like you said, earnest, but it's also just a raw exploration of love and being loved and the toll mm-hmm. that takes on you because love is you know it's 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 a wonderful thing it's a beautiful thing but it's it's it can also be a debt that you have to pay with your soul and i think you really hammered at home in a way that was really impactful especially for me i, I thought it was beautiful so you know, and, and I feel the same way about your writing, the way you get to like this really like raw beating heart of your characters and, and, and your, you write sentences that just make me fucking jealous. And like, <laughs> and like, I, I want, like, like, I, I got to imagine like how funny it would be for someone to like see the two of us like sitting at the bar at shade, like laughing like idiots and making dumb jokes with Todd and then like reading our books and being like, oh, you two aren't complete fucking morons. I, I'm so, I think I surprise people all the time. I think people read the book. And then, like you know, people <laughs> people see me at the bar or conventions or my my last uh, my last sojourn in New York City, and um, it's like, oh, that that drunk dude that's singing with the Armenian gangsters, he wrote this. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, I guess uh, the, it, it bears mentioning. Um, that well you've gotten sean you've gotten tons of accolades for for blacktop wasteland and razorblade tears most recently i think was an edgar nomination mm-hmm. if i'm not wrong is that right which yeah congratulations, so congratulations on that for sure thank you very much um how i guess in general has uh how's the reception of of those two books been for you because um for me as a reader and someone who's not as familiar with you as a person i'm i'm no todd robinson inspiring you on a daily basis um you were you weren't there and then you were everywhere is kind of my impression like there's there's not there's not a table that doesn't have your book on it um you know there's not a list that you didn't make it on so how how is that type of a a a thing for you it's in honestly it's a little terrifying um (laughs) uh i think i think rob uh 
you know, we've been friends for a long time, and Rob saw me before Blacktop, before all this stuff happened. And uh, there's this this feeling of, you know, I, I want this. I want this level of success. I want that level of success. I want to be somewhere. I want to be somebody. I want people to read my work. And and that never mm-hmm. changes. I don't think that ever goes away. But what does change is, is sometimes how people react to you. And I think that's hard, you know, uh, people that, because I always think of the writers that I like, a lot of the writers that I'm, I've been around as sort of my class, you know, like we were the class of 2015 or whatever. <laughs> and, and, and sometimes, you know, and there's a lot of writers in that class who are doing really good things, really big work. Jordan Harper, Rob Hart, you know, Megan Abbott, folks like that. Uh, people that I saw on the come up, you know, and it's, it's, it's for me, I'm always cheering on those people. I want those people to succeed. And sometimes there are people that you want to cheer on that don't, and I'm not speaking about anybody I just said, but sometimes there are people that don't cheer you on the same way. Friends that you thought were friends that you kind of lose, you know, and, and they'll tell you, oh, you've changed. Your book was on CBS this morning. I haven't changed, you know. I, I, I'm still carrying mm-hmm. out the trash and, you know, eating peanut butter sandwiches. But, <laughs> um, you know, it's, I think, <laughs> I think there's this there's a quote from the Game of Thrones TV show that uh, sticks with me sometimes, and it's from Robert Baratheon, and uh, he says, "I was never so alive as when I was chasing this throne, and never so dead as when I was sitting upon it." And I don't feel like that way exactly, but things do shift. You know, there's a pressure that I think. You know, when I wrote Blacktop, I was nowhere, nobody doing nothing. I just wrote it, so everything I put into Blacktop was just stuff that I thought was cool shit. Yeah, you know, I'm talking about my dad, I'm talking about my mom, I'm talking about rural black America, I'm talking about growing up poor, but I'm also talking about car chases and, and, and you know, souped up motors and creepy ass hillbilly mm-hmm. crime bosses. And so when you write that book and you write Razorblade, and then Razorblade just went beyond anything I could ever imagine. There's a certain amount of pressure that comes with that. Like I'm working on something now, and I had a really hard time I had a really hard time getting there because I was really, I was really killing myself, beating myself up to be like, okay, I got to make this as good as Razorblade. This got to be as good as Blacktop. This has to incorporate all these expectations that people who have read an S.A. Cosby book are looking for. And that just produces really shitty writing. It really does. When you write like sure. that, you're writing by committee and that never works. When you're a writer, you have to be a dictator, you know? Yeah, and so yeah. I, yeah. I I had to throw all that. I threw away like the first twenty six, twenty seven thousand words and started over because it's like I'm not going to write that kind of book. I have to write the book that I like, the book that I want to write. And so, you know, on the one side, the success has been incredible. You know, I grew up really, really poor, and so like I like to say, you know, I still eat the whole loaf of bread, both heels and all. But uh, and so the the, fi- <laughs> the financial aspect of it has been incredible. You know, I've been able to do nice things for my wife, for myself. You know, I've done silly stuff. You know, I don't need to be up at night watching uh, late night television because I have like way too many samurai swords now. But um, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> but on the other side of the artistic side of it is this this thing where you have to let go of the fear, you know, and and just write the stories that you want to write. So it's been wonderful. But at the same time, kind of stressful. But I wouldn't, I wouldn't trade it because this is the dream, you know. 
This is what I've, I've only mm-hmm. been good at writing. There's not another job that I've ever been good at. And I've had a lot of jobs. This is the only thing I feel like I'm put on earth to do. So I wouldn't trade it for anything in the world. I think for me as a person, I, and I'll be honest, I had to like get to a place mentally where I wasn't beating myself up. So that comes with, you know, if that's therapy, you know, I talk to a therapist, that's fine. If that's, you know, letting go of the writing sometimes, taking a weekend off and not doing any writing and just in living in the moment, I think that's important too. Uh, but yeah, I wouldn't trade it for anything in the world. Yeah, like just just real quick, just for the record, when the the day you got the Edgar nomination, when 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 the the, the list got released, I was standing on a subway platform, and I was waiting for the one train, and I see it, and I just go, "Fuck yeah!" Like at the top of my lungs because I forgot where I was, and I was so happy. And I look up, and everyone on the subway platform is just staring at me, and I'm like, "Sorry," um, but so. But yeah, no, man, I, I really feel you on all of that because I, I had the same kind of experience. It's like, you know, Warehouse was like a banana pants deal and that book was everywhere for a little while. And, you know, you kind of, you know, and some people are just so gracious and so happy and so excited for you. And some people just kind of like look at you sideways or they'll they'll kind of grit their teeth and be like, oh, I'm so happy for you. You know, because like some people have this idea, this like scarcity mentality that like publishing is like pie and they're going to run out of pieces of pie and then you're not going to get any pie. And mm-hmm. um. Mm-hmm. And, you know, uh, Warehouse was, you, you know, on one hand, like stuff like like the movie deals and the foreign deals and all that fun shit. And you start making money and then you're a full time writer and it's really great. And I'm not I'm not complaining about any of that, but like it comes with uh, all these new kinds of anxieties and fears. And like Warehouse actually pushed me into therapy because um, I got to a point yeah. where I was like, you know what, like I'm having a hard time and I can't handle any of this shit and I need to get some outside perspective. And um you know, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's a little bit of a blessing and a curse at the same time. And, and, and I had that struggle starting the next book where like, I was trying to do something by committee. I was trying to do what I thought was expected of me. I was trying to do what I thought mm-hmm. people might want or might mm-hmm. think I need to do. And I finally got to a point where I'm like, no, fuck it. Like I want to write mm-hmm. like a crazy time travel book with like robots and dinosaurs and shit. Like that's, what's going to make me happy. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and when I finally keyed into that, it was like, okay, okay. I feel a little bit better now. You know, what's funny. I'll, I'll say yeah. this real quick. Uh, I know we've been rambling on a little bit, but um, there was a point last summer where we had a really small window where COVID wasn't just total, you know, ass weasel time. It was like we had a moment <laughs> where we could like maybe kind of with precautions and vaccines, you felt like, OK, I can go somewhere and be around people. And in June of last year, um, Todd and Rob came down to North Carolina. I live in Virginia. I drove down to North Carolina. There's a guy named Eric Pruitt, who's a really fantastic writer, good friend of mine. He owns a bar down there uh, called Yonder. So if you're in North Carolina, Hillsboro, check it out. But he had a, a, a live reading, had a noir at the bar. And that live reading did more for me than, I don't say the therapy was bad, because therapy was good, and talking to a therapist was really good. But there's nothing like being around your friends. Yep. Yeah. Oh my around, god. It's not like being incredible. around the people that you love and the people that that were there for you before all this stuff happened. And it was just I went in there like, man, I hope everybody's cool. I hope people aren't weird, blacktop and razor blade. And I left out of there feeling like, oh man, I'm with my family. And I can go back and I can do this. I can I can continue this journey because I got to be around these people. And yeah, we got 
gloriously drunk that night. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah my that, liver... that was, well, you know, yeah. and, and that's God, because Eric, Eric, it, it's it's a it's a like high end cocktail bar, and and yeah. I had and he made like a drink called Razor Blade Tears, and I had so many of them, <laughs> so many of them, because it was real good. Um, but yeah, I just remember like a moment where it was just like you, me, Todd, and and Eric just like bullshitting, and it was like, mm-hmm. fuck, man, I needed this, like especially yes. after all this COVID nonsense and all this being mm-hmm. alone and sort of being separated from our people, and then like we're just kind of standing there, and it's like, oh. Look at these dumb fucking idiots. God, I miss that. <laughs> you know? And uh Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I yeah, that that sense of community, but also just like having people in your life that um you know care about you and support you and stuff like that. So this has nothing to do with writing or books. This is just a personal thing for me. But just before the pandemic really started, you know, rolling, um, early twenty twenty, me and three people that I went to like grade school through high school with decided we're going to do a call every other week and just talk about growing up together. Mm-hmm. And that was at first, it was like a project. Then it just kind of devolved into, holy shit, I get to talk to these friends of mine every mm-hmm. couple of weeks about whatever. And they're people that have always been in my life and supported me. And I fig- I figured out, like, it wasn't that it was something that we were doing because it was cool. We we, we needed it. Mm-hmm. And, and so that was a way to um, keep these people who were so distant, like, back in my life. So I completely identify with, um, and I think with the, especially with the pandemic, you don't realize how maybe isolated you start to feel until you have those moments where you're with the people again and you're like, Whoa, Whoa, I needed this. Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 you know, it's funny because I think there was a degree to which writers are kind of trained for the pandemic because again, like we, we spent like (laughs) all the time that we're writing our books, like we're basically by ourselves. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, you read by yourself, you write by yourself and then, and then you, you have to kind of come out of it and like go to a convention, go to a reading, go to a bookstore and kind of connect with people. So, you know, we, I, I think, you know, I, I always valued that of having that alone time and then having that sort of like coming out time of then like, you know, being around people and, the pandemic just stretched that out to such a ridiculous degree. And so when it finally like, yeah, like once, once summer rolled around and it was like, okay, it's not as bad outside. Like we can do outside stuff. Like, you know, it was great. Um, But even now, man, like setting up stuff for paradox, like we're doing mostly virtual events. Like I'm doing Mm -hmm. one in-person event so far with like maybe another one on the docket, Mm -hmm. but like, you know, there's a part of me that like, I'm glad that I can do what I can. And I'm glad it's not like the really, really heavy part of the pandemic. Like my heart goes out to like all those people who released books, like during yeah. the lockdown when it was so hard to like even leave your house. But um, yeah, it's kind of like, it's kind of a struggle now where it's like, man, I wish I can just like get on a plane and go to a bookstore somewhere. But no, all my, all my bookstore events are like virtual now. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. I think um also just on a personal yeah, level. Promote- um, yeah, the promotion. I think it's funny though how, and I, I think I don't know if Rob will speak to this too. That um, how the business model shifted as far as like in store events and, and stuff like that. Um, I saw, especially with Razorblade and with Blacktop too, I saw a change or a shift into marketing of let's take advantage of Instagram, let's take advantage of social media in general. You know, and 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 I was kind of skeptical that it wouldn't work, but. You know, it, it really connected. If your book connects with people, it's going to connect with people. Um, 
But on a personal level, as a writer, like Rob was saying, you are alone a lot. Like I write alone. I, I seclude myself in the office and I write, you know, and and then for me, I I'm I'm a very extroverted person. And um and I like being around people, not just my friends, but just people in general. And it was really hard during the pandemic. You know, it was really difficult. I wrote about eight or nine, maybe ten short stories for different anthologies. And all of them are dark. They are Stygian, midnight in a minefield, mineshaft dark. Because that's where my head was. You know, I just that's where my head was at that time. And so, you know, like I said, that respite in the summer and and, and some other things that have happened. I, I you know, I, I, I don't feel ashamed to say that I need that contact. I think there's an idea that, oh, you gotta be yeah. tough. You gotta hold it in and not say no, I, I'm I'm throwing that tossing that to the wayside. I I fully embrace <laughs> I fully embrace the fact that I need people. And I I think that's okay. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. There's a mindset that some people have like, oh, I love the pandemic. I don't I hate people. I don't like being around. I I can't. That's not me. I I you know, if that works for you, that's great. Yeah. But that ain't that ain't my uh that ain't my road to hoe. So <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah, man. I'm ready to go out. I'm ready to go out and have a good time. I mean, like we're, we're sort of, I think we're kind of, I would like to think that we're kind of like on like the downturn on this and, and New York has been like kind of nice in the sense that like, because they require vax cards to get in mm -hmm. most places, it's like, you know, I went out with Todd the other night and like, we, we, you know, we went to shade for someone's birthday party. And then we went to the bar next door and had a couple of drinks. And again, like, drank way too much um but it's sort of like it, it's it's nice though to at least like i remember at one point like the bar got a little crowded and the two of us looked at each other and we're like this is really yeah. uncomfortable like yeah. it's great to be here but also it feels so weird because it's been yeah. so long since we've been around like crowds of people and um you know it's it, it's it's nice though it's nice though to feel like things are sort of like maybe kind of sort of a little bit getting back to normal sean we're not done talking about stuff for you because um i i I read uh, an article I think you linked to the other day, but um, do you have any <laughs> thoughts on the the broke down profits uh, thing with Audible that was re oh, recently announced? Oh man! So not to take up too much time, but uh, yeah, that's a great opportunity. Uh, again, I'm going to give a shout out to our we have a mutual agent, Josh Gessler from HG Literary, uh, and Josh uh, I, he pushes you, really pushes you to really explore all facets of your creativity um, because that broke down profit thing was not something I was going to do. I didn't think I could do it because he had got approached about writing a original dramatic uh, um, audible program, like an eight or nine episode dramatic series for audible. And he came to me and he was like, Hey, do you think you could do this? And I was like, was that like writing a screenplay? And he was like, yeah, I was like, Oh no, I can't do <laughs> shit. Shit. No, I you better go find somebody else. And he kept pushing me. He said, well, look, because I had told him the idea of, for Broke Down Profits, but as a book, and I had said, I don't know if it works as a book because I don't know if it has enough legs to carry it through as a novel. And he said, this will be a perfect idea for this series. And so long story short, I started doing it. I downloaded the screenwriting uh, app program and, uh, and, and I got into it and I found that in some ways, writing a screenplay or writing a dramatic play or, or or whatever you want to call it is easier than a novel because it's all dialogue, and I'm I'm pretty decent at dialogue, so it's all dialogue. It's very few descriptive <laughs> passages. 
I am terrible at describing stuff. Like if you built a house based on the way I describe it in a book, it would be 37 feet long and 89 feet wide and like 200 feet tall. <laughs> so it's like that took out some of that problem. But it, it ended up being really fun. It ended up being really an interesting project. And it's it's produced by uh, Kevin Hart and Charlemagne God, God for uh, their production company, SPH, which stands for Short Black and Handsome, which I think is hilarious. And uh, <laughs> it's going to be produced by Audible. It's going to be a full cast recording so it's going to be a full dramatic recording so it's basically a screenplay wow. for your ears and uh it's been such a cool opportunity it's been so fun to do it and it really it it gave me the confidence to maybe possibly sometime tackle an original screenplay for film on my own maybe we'll see but it was a lot of fun <laughs> and I, I really enjoyed it and uh it's pr- pretty exciting yeah, I was so excited to see that get announced because, like, you know, I've heard a little bit about it, you know, from you, a little bit about it from Josh, you know, and like, and it's funny because, like, sometimes, like, you know, and again, like, we share an agent, so we usually, like, we kind of, and we're buddies, so we kind of know what's going on with each other. But, like, sometimes when those announcements come out, it's like, <laughs> oh, yeah, cool. I thought everyone else knew that. <laughs> um, but, yeah, man, it, it just, it looks like so much fun. Like, that, that, that's, that's fantastic. Oh man, thank you. It was it was a lot of fun to do. It was an interesting, like I said, it's an interesting medium to write in. Um, but I still think I got I have you know I have a certain style. You know, I like to joke about you know at some point in my book, somebody or my writing, somebody's gonna get hit in the face with a tool. But uh, <laughs> but um, this is also kind of a way to sort of explore some different things because it starts in New York City, and I love New York City. I'm I'm a country boy at heart. I'll always be a country boy. You know, Virginia is my heart and my home, but I love New York City. I love visiting the city. It is the most exciting city on 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 earth. And so, uh, to to write a story from the perspective of people who aren't originally from there, and how sometimes that can be confusing, and sometimes that can be scary, and sometimes that can be really exciting, I thought was really cool. It was a really fun opportunity. I'd always swore I'd never set a story in New York. Because I, I was like, I'm never going to get it right. I'm never going to get the street right. There's going to be somebody that's going to call me out on something. But doing it this way was a little easier. So it, it was fun. It was a lot of fun. When uh, when is that stuff going to be available? I don't know if I uh, remember from, from reading about it. Uh, um, it's going to start being available at, toward the end of this year. And it's going to move into the uh, beginning of next year. So they've got other... Uh, they got other programs on this production slate as well. They got a couple comedies. Um, they've got a, 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 a like a, a, a dramatic series about uh, that's not crime oriented. So there's a bunch of different things on the slate that are all coming out one after another. But yeah, by the end of this year, we should yeah, start yeah. having some information about it. But it's like I said, it was a lot of fun, and, and uh, it was a it, it, it was interesting. It tested me in some ways, but in other ways, it made me it gave me confidence to maybe try some other thing. And I think, and I don't I don't want to speak for Rob, but I think as a writer, uh, as a creative person, you're always trying to push yourself into new areas or push yourself to do new things. I think for me, I get I think it's boring to rest on whatever laurels you may have. I think you always want to try to do something different. So. Oh yeah, yeah, without a doubt. Like I'm, I've got like. I've got one comic book that I co-wrote uh, with Alex Segura that, you know, it's it's done. It's in the can. We're just waiting for the go-ahead to announce it. And I've got another comic book that I have out on pitch. And, like, 
and it looks like it might go forward and just like just doing that is just so much fun and like if paradox turns into a tv show i get to write an episode and um oh, wow you know like all those things like they're just like they're so it, it really it's it's so fun and nourishing to get those moments where it's like okay like i'm gonna step outside my comfort zone here and like you know, luckily you can usually find people to like kind of help you there. Like Alex is like a pro, like he's been writing comics for years. So like, I had no idea what I was doing going in, but I had Alex there to, to have my back. And like, mm -hmm. you know, if the TV thing happens and I get to write an episode, like, cool. Like, I mean, I've had guys like Jordan Harper and Blake Crouch, like with my back so far and like, have been really sort of like helpful because they both have a lot of experience in those industries and they've been great. But I also know that like, you know, working title is going to assemble a great team. And, you know, if, if, if I fuck it up, they'll just rewrite it. So it'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> I, that, that's a good point of view. I think I, I, I struggle with that <laughs> sometimes because I'm like, I got to make it perfect. I got to make it. Per no, it'll be all right. They'll fix it. It'll be fine. You got to let some of that go. But uh, no, like you said, I think that's interesting. And I think also ultimately it helps you become a better writer when you decide to go back into writing a book or writing a novel. I think all those experiences, all that information gives you a a, a, a more uh, fresh perspective on when you start writing or doing your you know the return to the dictatorship so to speak and i i think that's <laughs> nothing but good so <laughs> god the return to the dictatorship i fucking love that that's so good <laughs> <laughs> yeah i have to imagine that like uh script writing or writing for uh the screen or or, or for like a dramatic thing has to have an impact on the way that your dialogue is written in like a more of like a narrative fiction piece, because, you know, if, if the dialogue is 90% of, of the story that's being told, you really are honing how you write dialogue. So I got to imagine that's going to be helpful, but yeah. So like exactly what you said, like, and creatively, I have to imagine that you have ideas all the time and your idea doesn't form in a way where it's like, well, it's a novel again. Like your idea mm -hmm. is just an idea and you got to figure out where does this fit? So I have to imagine sometimes like you were saying with, um, with, uh, this audible thing, you know, it didn't really fit as a novel. So your ideas don't know where they're going to land. They're yeah. just the ideas you have. Yeah. Like you, Rob yeah, mentioned it, a comic it, book. It's nice to have the options. Yeah. Rob mentioned a comic book. I'm working on an outline or, or a pitch for a comic book now that Alex is helping me with. Alex is one of the nicest people in publishing alice agura not only one oh, of the yeah. nicest people in publishing but great writer in his own right he's got a book coming out called secret identity um cop that when you get a chance it's it's great but he's such a calming presence in a in a in a in a in a, in a <laughs> industry in an industry that can get kind of get kind of hairy and hinky sometimes he's 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 a really good guy to have in your corner so yeah he's he's working with me on something that uh we're trying to put together uh uh shortly here so yeah it's like you know, ideas pop in your head and it's like, oh, that'd be a cool book, but would it be better as a comic book? Or would it would it be an, like the idea I have for a screenplay for a film could work as a novel. But I think what I want to say and what I'm trying to do might work better as a as a movie. You know, we'll see. I don't know. But th the opportunities there. So, yeah, that that's fun. And like, like I said before, I just always want to push myself. You know, I want to push myself harder and harder because I, I always want to be a better writer. I'm always trying to, I'm, I'm only in competition against myself. I'm not in competition against Rob or Alex or anybody else. I'm in competition with my last book. And so that's, that's the way I kind of look at it. Yeah. 
that's exactly right like you're you know that's the thing about publishing it's like you know there's no there's no final battle there's no final boss like it's just like a <laughs> it's just like a constant unending stream of of you know victories and failures and and i think yeah. that's the best way to look at it is you just want what like i i i really genuinely hope that like my my first novel new york i hope that is the worst thing i ever write you know, mm-hmm. like I, I want, I, I just want to keep on growing with each book and growing as a writer and growing as a person. And just like, yeah, the challenges are, 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 are fantastic. Like I, there, I've got an idea for, for a play. I'm like, fuck yeah, I'll write a play. Why not? Cause it's an idea that doesn't work as a novel. And it, yeah. I don't even think it works as a movie, but as a play, I can see it. So it's like, you know what? All right. I'm, I'm going to give this a shot and see how it goes. Why not? Yeah, definitely. Hey, I, I, I got, to talk about the three things that I had noted as things to talk about. So uh, nice. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if there's anything else you gentlemen want to add uh, before we uh, we wrap up. But I think it's been a fantastic conversation so far. Um, I just want to say it was great getting to talk to you guys. Great talking to you, Rob. Uh, even though I, I saw you six months ago, I still miss you, brother. And uh, hopefully we'll get together, <laughs> get together and see each other again. We always have a good time, it's, especially when we end up in shade. It's always an interesting time. Uh, hanging out there because you know it's New York. There's a cast of characters. We're writers, so we kind of like I think naturally turn things up a little bit. You know, uh, you it's like you know you're sitting there and you you're having a nice uh, whiskey drink and some guys wandering off the street and they want advice on how to be adults. And so it's like, yeah, I'll tell you. It's like <laughs> listen to me. It's like listen to this drunk dude in the corner. <laughs> Who has crippling self doubt? I'll tell you how to be an adult. So, like, <laughs> but no, that was a fun night. But uh, no, man, it's been great. Yeah. And, and, you know, anybody that knows me knows I love talking about writing. I I could talk ad nauseum, and I often do. So, thank you, thank you for having me. This was a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah, man. Thanks so much for doing this. It's like you know, and, and that's part of the fun. Is like again, like it's it's hard to it's hard to do events. It's hard to do this. It's hard to do that. But like there are still opportunities to connect and uh it's just like you know i i i am just like and i'm always happy for my friends but like you know watching the way that you like fucking fought for this and and how much of yourself and how much effort you put into this like every time i see like like i see the the kevin hart and charlamagne the god thing i'm like god damn it there goes sean again (laughs) you know it's like people are finally recognizing what a lot of us saw like way back when and uh yeah man it's just a fucking pleasure it's so fantastic Oh man, well, the the feeling is mutual, and I, I think you know people don't realize just how hard it is to put a book together, to create a story, create a narrative, and then on top of that, create a sci-fi narrative, a science fiction narrative, and make it make sense. There's a lot of people that write sci-fi that don't do that, you know. And I read a lot of sci-fi. <laughs> There's a lot of people that just like this happened because I said so. So just go with it, and and you didn't do in, that in, at all. In fairness. <laughs> I, I I appreciate that, but in fairness, I'm really kind of like waiting for the Neil deGrasse Tyson tweet to be like, <laughs> "Let me explain to you why all of this is bullshit." And I'm like, "Cool, I welcome it. Please do it. Yeah, welcome yeah. it. Yeah, that's, that's, that's your stamp of approval. If you get the Neil deGrasse condescending uh, tweet, you've 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 arrived. So, <laughs> yep, <laughs> that's a win. <laughs> Once again, excellent conversation with Rob and Sean. Um, I, I think this is the absolute least work that I've had to do as a podcast host in my entire decade plus of experience. And it makes me so happy when a conversation is so organic and natural that um, it doesn't need me to make it more interesting or punch it up. 
just a great conversation. Really appreciate um, Rob and Sean giving me the time and, um, and the insights that they gave on their books. Thanks again for listening, and we'll catch you on the next one. Bye. Okay, that was another Lit Reactor Archive episode with Sean Cosby and Rob Hart. Again, um, the reason that I'm doing these episodes is because Lit Reactor will be closing their doors at the end of 2023. And being someone who doesn't like to see good content go away, I wanted to find a way to uh, preserve the episodes that I had done um, hosting their podcast, Unprintable. Um, That's two down. There's four more to go. There's going to be an episode about grammar, an episode about interviews, an episode about book reviews, and then I'm going to round it out with our 10-year discussion uh, about the anniversary of Lit Reactor, where Rob Hart and Josh Chaplinski talk about how it started, some of the history, and um, it's a great conversation and probably a nice way to kind of wrap up almost 13 years of uh, Lit Reactor creating an amazing community. So uh, those will be coming soon, and again, just want to plug one more time. Tomorrow I'm recording an episode with Becky Spratford and Emily Hughes where we look at the first half of 2024 and the books that we're looking forward to. Uh, So come back soon. I'm going to be hitting you with a ton of episodes uh, in these next few days uh, while we wind up the year. And I hope everybody has a great whatever type of holiday season you celebrate. Enjoy that. And we will be back soon with more. Thanks.